Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode number 49, recorded Wednesday, June the 28th, 2017. Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the John Campia Podcast, uh, getting about uh, halfway through the week now. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a little bit excited. I'm actually going to go see Spider-Man Homecoming tonight, and I'm really stoked about it. You know, I remember I talked about this on Movie Talk a while ago, but I have a, a friend who's involved in the production of the movie. And one of the things they told me, and I mentioned this on Movie Talk a number of months ago, was that there was a real tug of war going on between Marvel and Sony over this movie. Apparently, Marvel really wanted to make like a John Hughes kind of teenage coming-of-age movie. Sony wanted to make a more straightforward action comic book movie. And he said there was a lot of compromise on both sides. And Marvel and Sony kind of compromised both. And what you end up with is a action comic book movie that has a lot of John Hughes elements to it. And he said the result of their compromise and the result of their collaboration was really great. Now, he's working on the film and he never saw a finished edit of the cut of the film when I talked to him. So I didn't know, you know, how much of that to take seriously when he said, the movie turned out great, wait till you see it. But I've seen a couple of early reviews from the film because I know a bunch of people, a bunch of my peers saw the movie a few days ago because they had to see it before the press junket and they all really liked it a lot. So I finally get to go see it tonight. I'm very stoked. There may or may not be an episode of the movie vlog later today because I do have to go see Spider-Man Homecoming. So I'm going to try to get an episode of the movie vlog done before I go. But if I don't, I'll make up for it tomorrow, I promise. But yeah, let me know. What are your guys' expectations for Spider-Man Homecoming? I am super excited about it. Okay, well, listen. So here on the John Campia podcast, what I like to do is just take your questions. That's all I do. It's kind of like my podcast is my own version of Mailbag. I just take your questions Monday through Friday in the mornings. And that's what I like to do. And we're going to get right to it. And how do you get a question to me. It's simple. Either email me at the John Campia podcast at gmail.com. Just email me there or make sure you're following me on social media, which you should be anyway. Follow me on Facebook and on Twitter at John Campia. And I often put a post there calling for questions and you can leave a question there. So with all of that out of the way, let's get to it. And the first question today comes to us from Jeffrey Taylor, who writes, do you think The Incredibles 2 could surpass its predecessor since Brad Bird stated he would only make a sequel if he thinks it's as good or even surpass the original? I think it has a very high chance. Well, thanks a lot for the question, Jeffrey. Yeah, I remember Brad Bird said a long time ago he would only want to do a sequel if it would be even better than the first. And Brad Bird did such an amazing job on The Incredibles. And of course, he did a fantastic job on that Mission Impossible film that he did. Ratatouille, The Iron Giant. And now his last live action film, Tomorrowland, didn't turn out all that great. But whatever, we'll give him a pass on that one for now. So yeah, a while ago, he did, you know, say that I would only do another Incredibles film if I can make it even better or at least as good or even better than the first one. And, you know, and now he's doing it, right? Okay, so look, I love Brad Bird and I love Pixar, but... Before we get too excited, let's keep this in mind. Brad Bird isn't the only director to ever say, I'll only do another one if I, we can make it even better than the first. 
I remember the late, great Harold Ramis, who directed this incredible comedy in 1999 with Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro called Analyze This. It was fantastic. It's just great. But I remember him saying that, you know, I'm only interested in doing another one if we can, you know, top it and if we can go even bigger and better and, and make it funnier and make it even better than the first one. And so in 2002, they came out with Analyze That the sequel to Analyze This, and it was absolute garbage. It was just totally terrible. Todd Phillips, who directed The Hangover, I remember just before The Hangover 2 was going to hit theaters, hearing Todd Phillips talking about, you know, I wasn't interested in just going back to do a sequel for the sake of sequel. I thought it's got to be better than the first, because if we can't top ourselves, what's the point, you know? And then The Hangover 2 came out, and The Hangover 2 was pretty much universally accepted, was nowhere near as good as as uh, The Hangover part one. The point here is that I wouldn't read too much into Brad Bird saying, I'll only do it if I can make it better than the second one or better than the first one, because almost every director says that when talking about sequels. Almost every director says that. And I'm not saying that Brad Bird doesn't think this Incredibles 2 could be better than the first one, not at all. Maybe I'm sure he does think that, but keep this in mind too. Every director And every writer and every producer, when they are starting out on the actual putting a movie together process, they all think their movie could be the next great comedy or the next great thriller or the next great action film or the next great comic book film. They all think that when they start. Because if you don't think that the movie you're working on has the chance to be something really great and really good and really successful, then you wouldn't bother doing it. They all think it's going to be great. They all think their movie is going to be great. So now, what do I think the chances are of The Incredibles 2 surpassing the first Incredibles, it's a tall order because that first Incredibles movie is so damn good. It's a tall, tall order, but it is Pixar. It is Brad Bird. Brad Bird has turned out nothing, like forget Tomorrowland, but as far as working in animation goes, Brad Bird has turned out nothing but all-time classic after all-time classic, where they talk about the Iron Giant or Ratatouille or obviously the Incredibles. So his success rate in this medium and this genre is Pretty damn impressive. It's perfect. I mean, it's a perfect resume. So what are the chances? I'll give it a 30% chance. Now, I'm giving it a low number, not because I doubt Brad Bird, but because The Incredibles is so damn good. And, you know, let's be honest here. An Incredibles 2 doesn't have to be better than the first Incredibles. If it's even like 85% as good, that's better than 90% of the movies ever done out there. At least 90% of the animated movies ever done. All Brad has to do is not make a better Incredibles. He just needs to make a really good movie. And I think it's a 100% chance that he'll do that. Whether it exceeds that first Incredibles, like I said, it's a tall order. The next question comes to us from Gabriel Martin, who writes, With the increasing cooperation between studios using characters in shared universes, can you see a DC Marvel crossover movie event in the next five to ten years? Absolutely not. No chance. I'm not going to say never. I'm not going to say never because, you know, weird things happen. I mean, so like I, I once said a long time ago that there is no chance Sony ever lets Spider-Man go back to Marvel. But then a year and a half or two years after I said that, Sony, the company, goes into major financial trouble on the brink of bankruptcy. And they have – they're putting – suddenly Sony's in a position where they have to start making deals. And while they did not send so, uh, Spider-Man back to Marvel, they did license him, him out and, uh, you know, are going to make a lot of money on that. So never say never because you never know what circumstances are going to change. With that being said – Your question is a little bit misleading because you're saying like with the increasing cooperation between studios, other than Sony licensing Spider-Man to Marvel, 
I can't think of any other example. I don't see Jason Bourne crossing over into a James Bond movie. I mean, I haven't seen that happen. So when you say with increasing cooperation between studios, I think you mean the one example. And remember, this one example of Spider-Man in the MCU, that was predicated on a major studio going on the brink of bankruptcy and getting itself into major financial trouble. So it took a lot of extenuating circumstances to get that event to happen. As far as your specific question about the possibility of a Marvel DC crossover, no chance. Absolutely no chance. For a couple of reasons. Number one, Marvel is incredibly protective of their franchise and of this Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they're not going to do, they're not interested in doing any one-off movies right now. They're not interested in doing, like, they can't do a movie and they can't allow their Tony Stark to pop up in a Wonder Woman movie. They can't allow Thor to suddenly pop up in a Superman movie. They can't allow it because they are creating a very tightly knit together, very specific, very intricate Marvel Cinematic Universe. Even with their own movies, they're not going to do anything that brings any upheaval to that whatsoever. Also, Marvel is chugging along very, very well. And I don't think they want to hop in bed with Warner Brothers and DC right now, who... And granted, Wonder Woman was a major step in the right direction, and hopefully Justice League will be another big step in the right direction. But right now, as far as being widely acclaimed by both fans and critics, Warner Brothers and their DC properties are one for four right now. They did it with Wonder Woman, they didn't do it for Suicide Squad, they didn't do it for Batman vs. Superman, and they didn't do it for Man of Steel. Doesn't matter if you like those movies, and doesn't matter that I like those movies, the fact of the matter is, they did not get universal approval from fans, nor did they get universal approval from critics. Wonder Woman did, but that's one for four. Marvel films, on the other hand, are like, what, 10 for 12? Or something like that, (laughs) whatever. So I don't think they're going to want to do that. But also, from Warner Brothers' perspective, they are putting a lot of work into getting this DCEU to where they want it to be. And to introduce or bring in a Marvel element, how does that help the DCEU? It doesn't. It doesn't help them do what they're trying. If anything, it distracts from what they're trying to do. While I am certainly not going to say never, because like the Sony situation where a company is suddenly in trouble, any one of a million extenuating circumstances could come up that changes the rules of the game. But as far as the next five to ten years... It would take such an event. It would take Warner Brothers being on the brink of bankruptcy. It would take Marvel being on the brink of collapse. It would, and neither of those situations are going to happen, by the way. But I think it would take something monumental like that for it to happen. So I think the chances are pretty much next to zero. And to be honest, I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen. I, I, I mean, sorry, like the idea, all the Avengers and all the Justice League all in one big movie, that sounds like a great YouTube video that I'd watch for five minutes. But no, I'm not interested in a movie that has 25 main characters that have any hope of giving any real attention or character development to any of them. And so if all I want is one big action explosion set piece, I'll go watch a Transformers movie. I mean, really, because that's all it would be. You have no story, no character development, no anything, because you got 25 characters. I I just don't see the need for it. I don't really want it. So yeah, I I just don't think it's going to happen. All right, the next question comes to us from Miguel Angel Montoya, who writes, What did you think of the Foreigner trailer with Jackie Chan? Yeah, actually, on my YouTube show that I now do that I just started this week called The Movie Vlog, it's up there right now. In one of the two episodes, I talked about this trailer. Now, I had heard about this movie called The Foreigner with Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan. I'd heard about it a couple of months ago. 
but it was just in passing. And to be very honest with you, I didn't pay much attention to it and it had pretty much gone out of my mind. And then this trailer drops and the trailer is spectacular. It's absolutely spectacular. Now, for those of you who haven't seen the trailer, the basic premise of the movie is this. It reminds me a lot of Law Abiding Citizen, the one with Gerard Butler, but the basic idea is this. Jackie Chan, I think he lives, he's living in London and he doesn't have really anything in life except his daughter. He loves his daughter. I, th- I think she's supposed to be like 14 or 15 years old. And one day after he drops her off, there's a political bombing that had nothing to do with the daughter and the daughter was an innocent bystander and the daughter dies. So now Jackie Chan is really focused on going around. He's a very calm, mild-mannered, low-key dude, right? And he's going around and asking, trying to figure out who is responsible for the bombing. And he ends up at this government official's office, played by Pierce Brosnan, who Jackie Chan believes that Pierce Brosnan knows who did the bombing. And Pierce Brosnan plays dumb, says, oh, I don't know who did it. I don't know who did it. So Jackie Chan starts targeting Pierce Brosnan to get the answers. And then you start to realize, oh my gosh, this Jackie Chan's character is not a man to be messed with, not a man to be trifled with. It's incredible. I was hooked instantly. And now I cannot wait to see this movie. Like I heard about it. And I instantly shoveled it out of my mind. I saw the trailer and it did exactly what a trailer is supposed to do. It got me insanely excited to see this movie. And it's great to see Jackie Chan in a role like this. Now, look, I mentioned this in the movie vlog. Jackie Chan is not the world's greatest actor. It never has been, never will be. But that's fine because of the types of movies that he's done and the types of characters that he's played. That's fine. But in this one, it looks like he's really trying more dramatic. And one of the ways he's coming across better is because he's not trying to do anything, at least in the trailers, it doesn't look like he's trying to do anything fancy. He's just keeping it low tone, almost monotone. It's very subdued and very subtle. And I think if he keeps that going, I think this could really work. And I'm a big fan of Pierce Brosnan. I think Pierce Brosnan is a terrific actor. Uh, I loved him as James Bond. Not that I loved all of his Bond movies. But anyway, if you haven't seen it yet, I highly encourage you. Jump on YouTube. Do a quick search for The Foreigner trailer, Jackie Chan. Just search that on YouTube. You'll find the trailer. Sit back and enjoy. And then once you watch it, jump into the comment section. Let me know what you thought of the trailer. All right. And our next question comes to us from Alex Antu, who writes, The Last of Us movie. Any news about that? Yeah, so what Alex is talking about, he's talking about that insanely popular PlayStation game, The Last of Us. It's a very cinematic game. As a matter of fact, I did a review of the cutscene movie. Now, for those of you who don't know what a cutscene movie is, and maybe there's another term for it, somebody took all the major gameplay points and all the cutscenes and edited it all together so you could actually watch it as a movie to get the full storyline. I did that. I watched it. It was about six hours long, I think, if I'm remembering it right. I might not be remembering it right, but it was long. I think it was like six hours long. And I watched it on YouTube and I put up a review for the cutscene movie on my YouTube channel. So you can just search for Last of Us on my YouTube channel. You should be able to find it. But it's a terrific game and it's got a terrific story. And there's been a lot of talk about a Last of Us movie. Now, so much talk that Sony got the rights to it and they brought on Sam Raimi to be the producer of credit on it. So Sam Raimi's attached as a producer right now. Now, Sam Raimi is, of course, the guy who did the Evil Dead movies. He did the first three Spider-Man movies. He's an amazing creative filmmaker. And and that really nice little horror film dragged me to hell. He directed that as well. Go check that out if you haven't, by the way. It's a, it's a nice little film. Anyway, on top of that, what really got the fans of the game excited is that the director of the game, a dude by the name of Neil Druckmann, 
he was brought on to write the script. Now, Druckmann had some of the rights and Sony has some of the rights. So Druckmann was going to be writing and developing the script. They made a bunch of progress on it. They did. They went through two full drafts of the script, if I'm remembering all this right. They even did a table read where they brought in actors to do a table read and stuff like this. But the last I heard about The Last of Us, and if you know of new information that I don't, please share it in the comments section below and share it with the readers. But the last thing I know is that I think about six months ago, just before the new year, so this might have been November or December, Sam Raimi was being interviewed, and I believe he said that everything's hit a snag, that Neil Druckmann, the director of the original game, the guy who's writing the script, and Sony can't get on the same page as to what direction they think the movie should go. Apparently, they've hit a creative impasse, and The Last of Us project is now in development hell. They can't get it going. And Sam Raimi basically said, yeah, I'm the producer, but I can't do anything because I don't own the rights to the movie. I can't do anything, Sam Raimi said, uh, until like Neil and Sony get on the same page. And apparently that hasn't happened. Apparently they haven't gotten on the same page and they can't agree on a direction for the movie. I don't think either of them can move forward with it. I don't think Sony can move forward with it without Neil. I don't think Neil can move forward with it without Sony. So they're stuck. They're completely stuck. So the last I heard, Last of Us movie is stuck in the mud. And until one of those two sides bends a bit or until somebody comes up with a creative compromise, much like Sony and Marvel did for their Spider-Man Homecoming film. So until somebody comes up with a really creative compromise between Druckmann and Sony, it doesn't look like we're going to get a Last of Us movie anytime soon, which really sucks because this game is so cinematic. It's so cinematic. I know everybody says their favorite games are really cinematic, but they're not. But Last of Us really is. It is It is a game that is assembled like a movie. And I think it has a great chance of being a very good film. But then again, every story has a good chance of being a good film if you get the right script and the right director and blah, 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 blah. But I really do think The Last of Us has a great chance of being that, but it looks like we're not going to get it anytime soon. So unless you've heard something different... And please leave it in the comment section if you had. It looks like uh, don't hold your breath for a Last of Us movie because it ain't happening anytime soon. All right, let's move on to the next question. And the next question comes to us from Chris Kukorin, who writes, Are you excited for Star Wars Battlefront 2? I know you weren't too thrilled with the first game, but I think this one might be even better. What are your opinions of the trailers released so far? Well, yeah, I was so excited about Star Wars Battlefront. And to be honest, I don't think there's ever been a better marketing campaign for a game than Star Wars Battlefront. The way they tugged on the nostalgia strings, the way they, you know, remember those trailers where it's these two guys who've been best friends their whole lives and the whole commercial is a rapid succession of scenes of the two of them growing up and at every stage in their life from childhood to preteen to teenage to high school to college, it shows them and at the core of their friendship is Star Wars. And then now they're playing this video game and the one guy shows up in front of the other guy's office in an X-Wing. It was just, it was a brilliant marketing campaign. Unfortunately, that's all it was. It was a brilliant marketing campaign. I played the game a bit. I got to admit, I wasn't all that impressed. It was a, to me, it was a mediocre game with a Star Wars skin on it. And I'm sorry, but just putting a Star Wars skin on it doesn't make something mediocre great. Uh, at least not to me. So I was quite disappointed with the game. And I know a lot of people were also disappointed with the game. So now they've got Battlefront 2 coming out. And 
To be honest with you, I haven't paid any attention to it because I was never even going to give it a try. But buddy of mine, Jeremy Johns, he went down to E3 and he really hates the first Battlefront. He went down to E3 and played a bit of Battlefront 2. And I had dinner with him the other night and he said, you know what? It was, it's actually pretty good. So I am going to give it a shot. I'm not going to say I'm excited about it because the last one disappointed me. I'm not going to say I'm jumping up and down about it because I'm not, but I am going to give it a shot. I am going to pick it up and I'm going to play it. I'm going to see what I think about it. Now, as far as that last part of your question, where you say, what are your opinions on the trailers released so far? Who cares? I mean, trailers aren't really the game. Trailers are just marketing, much like the Battlefront trailers. The Battlefront trailers were amazing, but it has nothing to do with the game. You never really know until you sit down, get your hands on that controller or at that or on your keyboard or whatever and play the game. And so I've honestly, after I got duped with those Battlefront trailers, I pay no attention, not just to Battlefront, but to any video game trailers. I pay no attention to them whatsoever. I want to see, okay, give me a little bit of a look at the gameplay. I want to read what video game critics say. What are they saying about the game? How well it plays? All that kind of stuff. And then I get interested because right now, man, that Battlefront marketing campaign really screwed me over. All right. The next question comes to us from Clayton Scott. And Clayton Scott writes, how well do you think Jurassic World 2 will do compared to the first one? That's a great question because look, here's the thing. When the Jurassic World was coming out, people knew it would be a big movie because it's a Jurassic Park movie for sure. I don't know a lot of people who thought it was going to make over $120 million. I think, you know, three or four months in advance, I think the smart money was on a big, big opening weekend of $120 million. Then the movie comes out. It does, and it beats the Avengers record. At the time, the Avengers was the record. Of course, the new opening weekend box office record is Star Wars The Force Awakens. But at the time, when Jurassic World came out, it beat the Avengers box office record for opening weekend by hitting $208 million opening weekend. It went on to make $1.67 billion worldwide. It is one of the largest movies of all time. As a matter of fact, it is the number four all-time worldwide box office champion movie, only behind Star Wars The Force Awakens, Titanic, and Avatar. Those are the only films that have made more money than it. So when we go back to your question of how do we think it'll do the sequel compared to the first one, I can't imagine it's going to do as well. Now, remember, it doesn't need to do as well to still be a massive hit. It can do like three quarters as well, and it will still be a worldwide smash hit. Absolutely. But I, the reality is, while I liked Jurassic World, and I know a lot of people liked it, I don't know a ton of people that loved Jurassic World. You know what I mean? I know an awful lot of people who liked it, but not a ton of people loved it. So I don't know that people are going to be going back in droves to see the second one. I think it's going to be a big hit. I think it's going to be a big success. I think it's going to make tons of money. But will it do as well as the number four all-time box office film? No, I, I can't see it doing as well. I think the novelty of it's worn off a little bit. The nostalgia factor of Jurassic World is back. I think that's worn off a little bit. And the most important thing is, while a lot of people wanted to go out and see it, I don't know that a lot of people completely loved the movie. And therefore, I don't know that's going to, it was good enough that I think it's going to make a big amount of money. If I had to guess, I would say that Jurassic World 2. Now, remember, my guesses here may change once I start seeing trailers in the marketing campaign. But for now, I can see Jurassic World 2 joining the billion dollar club. 
but probably not much more beyond that. And that is still a massive accomplishment, a massive achievement if they actually pull it off. Um, but yeah, getting up to that $1.6 billion thing, it's a tall order, man. All right. The next question comes to us from Brent Fish, who writes, having seen War for the Planet of the Apes, how would you rate the trilogy overall? One of the best, okay, not so good. Also, with John Wick Chapter 3 getting ready to be filmed, do you think if the movie is at least as good as number two, it should be included in the all-time trilogy conversation? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. Um, Yeah, War for the Planet of the Apes is a... I've talked about it a couple times already. By the way, my review for War of the Planet of the Apes is up on my YouTube channel. Just go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Campia, and you'll find my War for the Planet of the Apes review there. Talked about it a couple times. It's a really good movie. It's very, very solid. I do not think it's the best of the franchise. I still think the crown for best of the franchise still belongs to the second film, which is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But I would say it's a little bit better than the first one. It's a solid movie. Just prepare yourself because it is not a war movie. I know it's called War of the Planet of the Apes. I know there are all these posters that shows an army of apes standing off against an army of human beings. But believe me when I tell you that's not in the movie. So there is no war in this movie, but that does not stop it from being a really good, solid movie. I think War for the Planet of the Apes is not in the conversation for best trilogy of all time, but I think it's in the conversation and a contender to get into the top five trilogies of all time. I mean, look, when you're talking about trilogies like the original Star Wars trilogy, about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Godfather trilogy, the Toy Story trilogy, the Indiana Jones original three trilogy, Back to the Future. Well, anyway, when you're talking about trilogy, it's a tough one to do, but I do think with War of the Planet of the Apes, it does get in the conversation for top five. It absolutely gets in the conversation for top five. Now, as far as John Wick goes, John Wick, the first one, is just an insanely good fun time. And I really like the second one, but the second one was not as good as the first one. I think they did some things wrong with their story, at least, with John Wick 2, that kind of undermined a little bit the first John Wick. It's still a good movie, and I still liked it a lot. I mean, if you saw me review it, I I quite enjoyed John Wick 2. But according to your question, if the third one is as good as number two, does it get in the conversation? Does John Wick get in the conversation for one of the best trilogies ever done? And I'm going to say no. I think John Wick 3, to get in that conversation for top five best trilogies ever made, to get in that conversation, the one that Planet of the Apes is in easily, then the third John Wick film at least has to be as good as the first one. Being as good as the second one isn't going to cut it. It has to at least be as good as the first one, and maybe even a little bit better than the first one to bring up the whole trilogy. If it can do that, then it'll be in the conversation. Otherwise, I, I just don't see it. Uh, I don't see it happening. All right, and we move on to the final question of the day. And this question comes to us from Barry Kowalski, who writes, What is your favorite horror movie of all time? I like this question. I've I've answered this question before when I was over at Collider a couple of times, but it's it's great to bring up now and again. As a matter of fact, I was just talking on the movie vlog the other day about the upcoming Hellboy reboot, which is being directed by Neil Marshall, who directed my second all-time favorite horror movie called The Descent. So yeah, the guy who directed The Descent is directing the new Hellboy movie. And Mike Magnola, the creator of Hellboy, is actually writing the script for the new Hellboy reboot at any rate. 
but my all-time favorite horror movie. Now, I'm not saying this is the best all-time horror movie. I'm just saying it's my favorite because I first saw this movie as a kid and it psychically scarred me. <laughs> and so it is still the only movie that really, truly terrifies me when I watch it. Maybe because, because I have all those childhood memories of watching this thing. It's still scarring me. I swear I still cannot watch this movie in the dark. I cannot watch this. And the movie is American Werewolf in London. Not to be confused with an American Werewolf in Paris. That's a different movie. But the original American Werewolf in London, that movie scared the living crap out of me so much. And it's a great story. And the way they use the ghosts and all that kind of stuff too. And the practical effect, I mean, the, the effects at the time, when you're watching this movie and re- realize when it was made, it was really, the effects were a little bit ahead of their time when they made that damn film. It's scary as hell. It's got a great narrative to it. The performances are wonderful. And yeah, to this day, my all-time favorite horror movie is American Werewolf in London, followed by The Descent. And The Descent's getting old now. It's got to be getting close to 10 years old now, I think. Um, but that was a movie that really pleasantly surprised me as well. But yeah, those are my two favorite all-time horror movies. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Hey, guys, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast on your favorite podcast uh, app, thank you very much. But why don't you come on over and make sure you also subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com slash John Campia. And if you're listening to this podcast on my YouTube channel, why don't you open up your favorite podcast app, do a quick search for the John Campia podcast and add me there. And by the way, a lot of people have asked me, why can't I find your podcast on Stitcher? The John Campia podcast is now on Stitcher. So you can find this show there as well. I do the show every day, Monday through Friday. And make sure you keep tuned to my YouTube channel videos every single day, except for the weekend sometimes. Anyway, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, bye-bye.